0: There are cases where a fully automated robotics center makes sense for what you're trying to do. And there's also, I think, a huge um, potential for cobot and collaborative type work centers that could be actually the better option for some for some industries and for some types of work.
1: And welcome back to For the Future. That's F-O-U-R, the future. This is your semi-weekly podcast about all things Industry 4.0. I am your host, Mark. And I'm Michael. And Michael, you had some pretty interesting 3D printer news. I feel like the majority of our news does uh, revolve around 3D printing, which I don't mind at all. And this week is like especially a cool article.
0: Yeah, it's... Uh, definitely I saw this come out this week and uh, I wanted, I was excited to talk about this uh, is the for us new technology from desktop metal. Um, Essentially it is a wood grain, a wood 3d printer that uses a binder jetting process. So um, maybe some of you out there have worked with uh, PLA plastics that have wood. They're like a wood based PLA. You can actually um, stain the surface or you can, uh, kind of burn the surface a little bit to get a little bit of a wood effect going on there. So that's kind of cool. It's still an FDM process. Um, some people have done some cool vases and you know uh, pots for plants and stuff like that. Um, but this is actually a full binder jetting process where you can get really fine, uh, detail and not have any layer lines show through. And their big pitch is the the sustainability and the reducing the need for companies to harvest uh, endangered species of high-end woods for uh, just luxury products in general. So like the idea of being able to simulate African woods in higher-end cars for wood grain paneling. So this printer can actually simulate any type of wood grain and color of the wood um, into the print, so when you get done staining the wood out, um, you can actually have that wood grain pattern run in any direction orientation that you want. The parts are strong; they're durable, um, very similar to a engineered plywood type product. And you also have the benefit of uh, having the wood basically simulate any kind of uh, species of tree that you want. Um, yeah, like so texture, that's going to be really color. Cool. Yeah, different color, different wood grains. So that's going to be interesting and you can go to their website for it's for us so it's for com and you can buy a vase or a pencil holder or stuff that's actually produced on this technology so it's not a product that you can buy right now you can't go out and buy a wood grain uh, multi-jet 3d printer but it looks like it's um, on its way out the door so that's gonna be really cool when that launches I'm sure a lot of design studios are gonna are gonna jump all over that so oh, for sure that's pretty exciting. On
1: their website, it looks like they have the wood panels in Teslas. I don't know if that's a current thing or if that's just what they're pitching that they can do. What is in a Tesla? I don't know if Teslas have real wood in them or if it's simulated wood. I'm not sure. But my question is: so, is what is the material it's printing? It can't be like a liquefied wood, right? Like what? How? I don't. I still don't get how they print it. Or is it plastic that looks like wood? Or what?
0: I think it's a a very high mix of just sawdust from you know, industrial waste from just cutting wood and just making logs or making lumber and things like that. Um, so they're taking that and then they're binder jetting it. So instead of, uh, like in the multi jet, uh, fusion printers that I work Mm. with, um, it's a, it's a fusion based process. So they're, they're jetting an ink into the plastic, which helps it fuse and melt. So I think with this, they're, they're essentially putting in a, a type of wood glue, um, process like that and then compacting it with rollers which it gets the parts to bond together so they're using essentially wood glue i think to create a matrix but it's mostly wood and i think it and i don't know if there is if it's ink that they're jetting in to get the wood grain or if it's actually kind of uh like burning the wood a little bit to make it or burning the sawdust matrix mm-hmm. i guess to to simulate the wood grain but um, it looks really good, and maybe they're just taking pictures of random stuff with wood green <laughs> yeah. panels in it. Like, oh look, there's a Tesla wood green panel. We could we can do that, you know. Yeah. I don't I don't know if that's what they're doing with this or not. Um, but the uh, the stuff that you can buy off their little store actually looks really cool. So that'd be interesting to uh, to put hands on that and and see what it actually like. What the surface finishes and stuff. It looks really nice. Yeah, really. So I'm excited. I'm excited for this. I think this is cool. I'm not a I'm not an industrial designer by any means, but I'm excited to see like what could be created with this kind of technology. So very cool stuff.
1: Okay, so with that, we're gonna jump into the topic of the day. And today we wanted to talk about cobotics, which is actually a term new to me. So this was especially interesting to learn about and talk through. And Michael has a little bit of experience with this. So he will be today's subject matter master again, which I love. And so, Michael, if you want to kick it off, you're like, what's the difference between cobotics and robotics?
0: Yeah, so a lot of people out there have probably heard the buzz r- buzzwords around cobots or collaborative robots, um, as I as I remember them being called in in college. And the real difference between a cobot and a robot is a cobot is a much slower, heavier, more expensive robot, um, and that's only slightly true. The idea, though, is that a cobot is designed in a way that Um, A human being can interact with them either directly or just be in the same work area and not require the same level of guarding that a traditional robotic cell would need. Um, For any of you who have toured factories where they're using like um, auto industry and stuff like that, uh, the robotic cells, you'll see these gigantic machines sometimes aren't robotic arms that are moving very quickly, lifting hundreds or thousands of pounds and moving them into place and doing lots of operations all at once. Um, what you might not see is the amount of guarding, uh, that's around those areas where if, if, it might either be a light curtain or it could be a physical barrier with, um, like a fence or a piece of, uh, polycarbonate or acrylic in the way, where essentially if a human being enters into that space, the robots are shut off immediately because they're moving so quickly and they have so much power to them that they could either, you know, kill someone seriously harm somebody, um, which are all not great things. So the idea of a cobot is that, they can actually detect um, they have additional sensors built into them where they can detect if they're contacting something or uh, some even have sensors that can measure um, with like capacitive type sensors where they can detect if something is nearby that shouldn't be, and they will start to decelerate and slow down um, before they contact that surface. So that would be, that might be nice for anyone out there who is used to working with robots or CNC's in general where, you're programming them. You you run your first couple of simulations on the actual machine, and you plunge the end mill right into the, the table, break it. Have to wait a couple of weeks for service parts. Whereas a cobotic system would detect that force of that of that end mill pressing into the steel plate, and it would know that it shouldn't be doing that, and it would stop. Essentially, it would detect that force. Um, and know that something wasn't right and it would slow down and, and mm-hmm. stop applying force to the point where it can break stuff. So that can be the other convenient piece of these types of systems is that um, you can put limits on how much force are allowed to exert. So if you know that the machine is carrying a one kilogram box or moving something that weighs a kilogram on the end effector, um, it it essentially knows how much force and uh, what kind of what kind of forces should be applied throughout the joints as it's moving that mass from point A to point B? And if any if any of those are exceeded, it'll actually slow down and stop, um, you know, if it bumps into something that isn't there, which, for instance, could be a human being. So that's really the difference. Um, technologies are very, very similar. Cobots are basically like a smarter version of a robot. But typically they are they do have limits and they are usually not as fast and as powerful as uh, a strictly um, autonomous designed robot. And the idea is that if something were to go wrong, they don't have their top end power is not enough where it could seriously harm or or, uh, hurt, hurt, hurt somebody, or, you know, unfortunately kill somebody depending on if they're moving, you know, a big sharp piece of sheet seal around Um, that can become very dangerous very quickly. If, you know you program something wrong and instead of the robot moving just 100 millimeters in along one direction it might flip all the way around in 360 degrees and all of a sudden now that that piece of sheet steel is moving very very quickly where you didn't think it was going to be while you're sitting there programming it with your with your laptop
1: just you talking about that reminded me of stretch from boston dynamics it's a a robot that we talked about in a previous episode and so he that robot must be classified as a cobot then if it's you know it's not caged off or anything. It can roll around. It can move its arm with boxes. So that must be a cobot, then, right? It must have all the sensors needed. Um, and we'll talk about the safety guidelines for cobots. But I'm assuming I haven't looked into it. But I'm assuming that has to be a cobot.
0: Yeah, and I, I think I think you're totally right. That is a um, all of those systems, and that's why you'll see them. Especially the early robots were all chained off and were like held up by pulley systems and stuff. And like the a lot of the times they wouldn't they'd use like a a, a broom to push on them and stuff. It's like they probably didn't, they're trying to keep people away from those systems because those motors are so powerful mm-hmm. um, that if, you know, that arm were to flay out to like help rebalance the machine as it's, you know, one of the robots as it's walking on a treadmill, you yeah. um, that could really hurt someone I mean, that could break your arm really quickly. Um, you know, the motors and stuff that are used in robotics are incredibly powerful, a lot of energy, a lot of torque, and they can move mass very, very quickly. So... That's uh, definitely something to consider, especially with a robot that can roll down, you know, an aisle in a in a um, a warehouse situation where it has to be super cognizant of all the stuff going on around it, yeah, and Not for sure. run somebody over, essentially. So, speaking about those
1: safety guidelines for cobots, there is a an ISO one five zero six six guideline for these types of robots, and so they kind of go into four areas that these robots need to make sure they check the box on, uh, to get this certification. So the first one is they need to be safety rated, uh, for a monitor stop system. So, you know, let's say a human, like Michael was talking about earlier, goes into its area, it immediately stops. So the different robots have different, uh, you know, areas that they work in and different, uh, like the volumes of area they work in. So once you have that kind of roped off or with sensors, that's the first thing that ISO 15066 covers with these robots, The second is hand guiding. And so what that means is that an operator can use like an external program to program where the robot will do work. And so, for example, I saw this video of an arc welding cobot. And so the person programming it had like an iPad in their hand. They would grab the arm physically, move it to the spot where it's going to do its first weld. And then you work the program to say, hey, this is your XYZ coordinate. This is where you're going to do this type of weld. Check the box, and they can move it. And let's say that part has four welds. After he programs it, he can you know back away, do the testing, and um, that robot has been hand guided to work in its certain area. The next guideline is speed and separation monitoring. So it's similarly to the safety rated monitor stop. When a human enters into the robot or the cobots area, it will drastically slow down its speed. That's just another point of safety. So we have our complete stops if someone's in the area or it can also just slow down so that it is impossible for it to injure someone drastically. And then the last piece to the safety guidelines is the power and force limiting. So this they all kind of roll into each other. But this last one is that, you know, the robot can't move fast or hard enough to injure a human. And so like Michael was saying, like they have sensors they have, you know, capacitive touch. Like they know if they're hitting something that shouldn't be there and they're, they have so many sensors and they have enough processing power to like immediately stop that operation. So because these are, as they say, collaborative robots, these are meant to be worked with around humans. So we can't have these robots injuring humans because that uh, would not be good for productivity. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So that's kind of where those safety guidelines for cobots come into play.
0: Yeah, and they, and i think it's it's interesting too cuz they it's sort of like a um like levels of cobot right it's mm-hmm. kind of like you, as you go from a down to towards d as like a robot has more and more systems in place um you know it's more and more collaborative right where you know, okay, instead of having chain link, or not chain link fences, but essentially fenced off or roped off areas where you have physical barriers where you cannot move into the area with the robot. Mm -hmm. um, That's kind of like step A is where, okay, you have light curtains. um, So the, you know, the space, like a human can walk in and check the work or be around the robot and see like kind of how it's doing and stuff. But the robot can't be moving while the human's in that area, right? Yeah. And so that's kind of the first sort of collaborative but the rope essentially the robot and the human can't both be pro- you know productive at the same time right in the same space and then hand guiding is kind of you know in the next step um that speed and separation monitoring is kind of a, a huge that really combined with the power and force limiting that's really what allows the human and the um and the cobot at that point to interact together and both be productive in the workspace together at the same time right yeah okay um, yeah that's a That's a good way to explain it. Yep. So I think there's, you know, hey, this is what you can do with your current existing robotic cells to make them more collaborative. But if you want to move into full collaborative robotics, this is where you need to be. Right. And so then we wanted to, knowing that, talking about the differences between cobots and robots, understanding the safety. And really, I think the ISO standards here really do a good job explaining like why um, you'd need those designations there, right? Like what is a cobot and like how is it defined versus a robot? And really safety is the big thing, right? Um, is that robots are awesome. They can, they can be awesome. They can be great for productivity. They can do work that's very repetitive and um, you know dangerous for a human to do, but a human can't be in that area while it's operating. So cobots really do a good job s- solving that issue. Then the final question really is, why wouldn't you just go with a fully automated robotic production center? So it might feel like you know the cobot stage is like an intermediate stage before you get to fully automated production cells and things like that. But I, I think we'll we'll try to make the argument here that there are cases where a fully automated robotic center makes sense for what you're trying to do, and there's also I think a huge um, potential for cobot and collaborative type work centers that could be actually the better option for some for some industries and for some types of work. And uh, I think we'll explain that here. So, you know, one of the great things first off is right, you know, when people are complaining about the robots coming to take their jobs, well, collaborative robots literally have humans built into being, you know, the, uh, the partner to the robot, right? So there is a lot less of that worry and fear of, humans being completely removed from that process, right? And instead, again, it's kind of that upgrading of skilled work where the robot can be doing stuff that is repetitive, you know, not very interesting, something that a human would get bored with and might make mistakes on, right? Yeah. You can set up a robot, you can set up a a collaborative robot to do those sorts of tasks. And, you know, a collaborative robotic type cell is going to be significantly easier and faster to, and probably cheaper to um, implement versus a fully automated cell. Uh, I was telling Mark a story from uh, one of our, one of my classes in college where we had to take, and it was a, it was a UR5 robot from uh, universal robots, which is a collaborative robot. But essentially at that point you could kind of switch it back and forth from collaborative mode to like full power mode, mm-hmm. which I'm sure it wasn't even moving as fast as, you mm-hmm. know, if you had a FANUC type robot in this similar size and weight, I'm sure it would be much faster. But for us, essentially, there was like you could, you know, get everybody out of the room and then hit go and it would move a lot faster. Um, and the goal was for our, our final for that class was to have the robot with a little pneumatic chuck and you had to assemble um, a little dollar store flashlight and then you had to assemble three flashlights all in a row and they all had to work at the end. So the professor would come up and would you know, pull them out of the little the little holder at the end of it and it would make sure that you could click them on and off. Um, and when we were just, when we were doing the guided work and we could help the robot a little bit, I mean, every team in the class was able to, you know, make that work reliably within a couple of days. It was quick. It was fast. Uh, it wasn't, it wasn't that difficult to do. And then we all had to go back through and redo it where the robot had to work completely autonomously. You could load up the parts into the part tray, however you wanted. And it was a race who could correctly assemble three flashlights as quickly as possible in our final grade. Like the grade on our final was essentially who, wherever you placed in that, in that time slot. So the fastest team got a hundred percent and the slowest team, I don't, I don't remember what the, what the grade was on the bottom end, but High essentially <laughs> that took a lot longer. That was much more difficult. Um, like I said, I think it took a couple of days, you know, me and my partner and I don't know, it took us a couple of days to, to get a collaborative, um, A collaborative workflow done wasn't that difficult right took a couple of days not that bad and we were we were just college students we were had only been working with this kind of technology for a couple of months for one semester so you know we're not pros by any means but but then for us to get the fully automated thing working reliably was the first step and then to try to dial it down to be faster and faster that took i mean it took over a month to get done it's yeah. significantly more difficult and that was a relatively simple task. I mean if you think of you know some of the products at your company or whatever that you you've always talked or dreamed about you know well what if we did a robotic cell here that can be really, really complicated, very expensive, a lot of custom tools getting designed. Um, Mark's over here nodding along as I'm saying all this so <laughs> I think he understands it can it can be pretty frustrating how difficult it can be to automate what seems like a really simple process. And then you remove the people from it and try to tell a robot how to do it. And it's it's very, very difficult. Basically, it can be pretty frustrating at times. And then the final the final piece with you know going with a cobot system versus a fully automatic system is you have a huge increase in flexibility, right? You've got a, you know, you've got the mind of a human being there to help kind of adjust to small changes and things, right? Um, or to be flexible and work around um, varying, uh, you know, high mix products or, you know, lower volume type product situations where you're not running a production line 24 hours a day all, all the time, right? You might have, you know, certain batches, you know, certain runs that you're doing for a while and then you need to switch over. Um, Cobot systems are going to be much, much faster doing those changeovers versus a fully automated system. And again, tying into that, That development time, where a robotic, an automated robotic system would never make sense, you know, with a business case to go through and do all the work to set up that, you know, test and validate and set up that, uh, all that programming, versus a a cobot cell might only take a couple of days doing pendant teaching and and things like that with a human there guiding the robot and doing the hard bits of it, right? Moving, you know, working with the complicated pieces and um, interacting with other. With other robotic cells or testing equipment and things like that, um, those type of cells can be much more flexible, and the time to develop it and the cost to develop it is much much lower. Um, so for some businesses, uh, a cobot cell might actually be the right answer, both you know as a final state solution and as an intermediate, you know just to try it, to demo and try one thing out. Um, versus a robotic cell, but there will always be companies where a fully automated system makes more sense as well. So that's my take on where how you should decide. You should you should consider what your business needs, and you know, do you want to do you want to prioritize being fast and flexible, or do you want to prioritize low cost and you know continuous run rate, right? So as we end out this episode,
1: I have a question call out for our. Listeners, I'm curious if there's anyone who works in, you know, any industry and has had to make the decision between cobot or investing in the fully automated robotic system. You know, what did you end up going with? Why did you go with it? And just like your thoughts on that process. I think it'd be really interesting if, you know, one of our listeners, you know, one of our five listeners uh, has done this sort of thing and has any, you know, not either advice or just things they've learned from the process and, you know, why they chose to do so. I think that'd be really interesting to talk about and even if someone did you know send something back to our email for the future pod at gmail.com it'd be interesting to kind of talk about that in one of our future episodes as a news piece i think that'd be really interesting
0: yeah that would be really interesting i'd be i would be uh very interested to hear what one of our listeners has to say on that topic and um, how many people are you know putting in and designing new robotic cells or whatever or cobot cells mm-hmm. and if management is asking well hey did you consider doing a collaborative robot right or if those kinds of questions are coming up or if those considerations are being made or if, Hey, we always do our, our new production lines like this. We're just sticking with, um, the robots and the technologies that we know. Um, that would be really, that'd be really interesting. So, so as always, thank you for
1: listening. Uh, please rate the podcast on your, your app of choice, whether that's Apple or Spotify, that really helps, you know, get the name known. We, and we really appreciate everyone listening and, we hope to get some uh, emails from listeners about cobots, robots, or you know, future topics for the podcast that you think would be interesting for us to cover. So, as always, thank you for listening. Until next time, bye. Until next time.